I love the idea of there being different international chapters of this shadowy organization. And it's only the French who have gone, guys, I think there's an opportunity here to do some really weird sex stuff. I'm looking forward to the tweet uh, at Bish Aringarosa. Just picked up the Vat Bonds. Hashtag paper paper. Hashtag make it rain. Bear in mind what happens a few chapters later. This is hilarious. Because this is basically T Binge ringing from the boot. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode four. It turns out of Shark Liver Oil's hey! coverage of the Da Vinci Code. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And if you're wondering what we we're talking about there, you've just missed because we've just deleted it all. Um, about, about five minutes of us discussing whether this was episode three or episode four. It is episode four. We have done three already. It has certainly felt like it. I don't know why I thought we were only on three. And it's uh, the Da Vinci Code. If you're joining us for the first time, what are you doing? Um, you've got to go back and listen to the first three parts. Um, it's been a rollicking good read, this, honestly. Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. And today we're reading from chapter 79, to I think it's chapter 105 at the end of the book. Uh, <laughs> he loves uh, a chapter count, doesn't he, Dan Brown? Do you think he had a bet on to see if he could get to like a guinea's worth of chapters or something? Not not just 100, <laughs> but 105. 105. Right? So uh, if you're reading along with us, that's the bit we're going to do today. Um, if you just want to listen in to the last last part you don't have to go back and listen to the others but you might you might struggle to work out what's be, what's going on um we've also That's been on us though matt i don't think i don't think we can be blamed for the fact that it's hard to follow a dan brown novel if you turn yeah. up halfway through because yeah. because which of the secret societies are on your side matt no one can yeah know. yeah we did try to record this uh, sorry it's been a bit of a delay we tried to record this a couple of times before and various things stopped us including the the Wi-Fi suddenly and mysteriously going down. We're still looking into which shadowy religious organisation may have been trying to keep Shark Liver Oil gagged. But uh... <laughs> this map, this is the podcast they couldn't silence. <laughs> yeah, so it, we were doing it now. Obviously, because it's the last of um, in the uh, in the series of the Dan Brown. Um, sorry, because it's the the last part of our read through of this book we'll be doing some reviews at the end as well including a few that we've had sent in and a few from around the internet too uh, so we'll get to feedback at the end um, if there's anything you want to add to our coverage of the da vinci code or to anything we do in the future shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com is our email address that's shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com uh, we're also on twitter at shark liver oil dave shall we dive straight in let's dive directly in pausing only to you know put on a wetsuit yeah, there you go. So, um, page, se- page uh, chapter seventy-nine uh, is Inspector Collet. Um, they found Silas's belt, his little chalice thing, Silas, was it whatever it's called, the little barbed wire thing. Silice. Yeah, they found it in the house. I don't know at what point he took it off. Oh yeah. The- <laughs> like what's yeah, so hard about it? The deal was that he's been stalking him all the way across France, basically, for being insufficiently or, or inappropriately irreligious or something, 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 yeah. something. Yeah. And, um, and, then, and then he got taken out by an extremely elderly man in his walking stick <laughs> who had this miraculous ability to notice when somebody is wearing a spiked garter underneath their very loose-fitting robes 
raising more questions about his recreational activities, I note. <laughs> so then what's he done? Has he just been like, oh, you got me. Well, I better take this thing off then. Oh, ow. Oh, oh, ow. Oh, hang on. Oh, yeah. ow. It can't have been a quick process, can it? It's like embedded in his thigh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, so that somehow came off and they found it. Uh, they also find these other bits and pieces in the house, including um, this dossier on priory people, um, including the, the past grandmasters, little sort of who's who of vaguely famous people through history, including Nicholas Flamel. A uh, little shout out to the Harry Potter readers there, um, famous for discovering really? the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, <laughs> He's really? the guy who discovers the Philosopher's Stone, yeah, in, uh, in Harry the Potter. Philosopher's... Oh, is it? Oh, right, I was going to say, because the... I, <laughs> just for a second there, I was like, Matt, you know the Philosopher's Stone doesn't really exist, right? Oh, yeah. Like, that's not, a, that's not yeah. real. Or the or the sorcerer's stone if you're reading in, if you're listening in America actually because they changed your name didn't they? Uh, but oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you try and sell a book with the word philosophy in it in America, people apparently publishers reckon Americans won't go for that. Yeah, yeah. Questionable there, I feel. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there you go. So so the, so there was loads of people apparently who were involved in this thing, uh, Priory. Uh, Vinay uh, calls. So uh, so the so Collet calls the you know the the hapless guy who smuggled. Robert and Sophie out of the Swiss bank. Um, <laughs> oh, what the what this governor? Now it's a fake Rolex. Surely yeah. you can tell it's got Folex written on it, eh? Yeah. You see, I think Vene calls him, and Collet recognizes the voice, and he realizes it's Rolex man. Uh, so, so, so that's there's some connection there. There is a connect. I can't bother working out what it is. Uh, on, on to... <laughs> Can I get? I'd like to note this actually at this point, since since we are diving back into this for one last lap in the latrine. Um, I hadn't really realised until we were doing this book exactly how deep your hatred of like plot goes in a book. <laughs> like how much you're just like, oh, just don't even, don't twist me any further around. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> Well, give, it's, me, it's not, give me imagery or give me death. <laughs> it's not just plot, because I don't mind like little meandering plots that end up not going anywhere if they're developing characters and making me care. But if it's just yeah. a bit of plot for plot's sake and I already know that it's going nowhere, then I, I do struggle to care about sort of going back to it. But anyway, yeah, so something yeah. about Venet, it won't matter, believe me. On to chapter <laughs> 80. <laughs> There's the pull quote, Matt. There's the quote that goes over the theme music at the beginning. <laughs> Chapter eighty. Uh, they're landing. They, so they land. They're coming into land. Um, T Binge and and friends. T Binge plays the night card um, again. He uses this whenever he is in a tight spot. He can just say I'm a knight, and everyone's just like, oh, that's fine then. Um, oh, we thought we'd better add to then, hadn't we? <laughs> um, so the, so the, so they're landing, but the British police are already waiting at the airport. Which brings us to chapter eighty-one. The cops are waiting with pistols. I get the feeling this is retconned because it was like <laughs> the, the cops are waiting, guns drawn, and then a few lines later, Dan Brown says, uh, "Which of course is unusual for British police," um, and <laughs> yeah. then gives no explanation as to why this unusual um, decision has been made. <laughs> that is absolutely hilarious because that, as well as that, is not only lazy writing but it is also lazy editing because he's clearly been sent back a copy of it from somebody <laughs> who knows something about the British police and he's just yeah. going they don't carry sidearms damn they, none of them they've not got pistols they just that is not what police carry in the UK and he's gone <laughs> really 
Oh, sorry. Uh, it was unusual for reasons. There yeah. we go. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a little bit later on. There's a there's a gun battle with some British cops as well, which I, I just don't understand how has happened either. But we'll get to that. Um, so the plane the plane lands. T Bing gets off. Um, you know, gets off the plane. Um, the police search the plane and can't find anybody. It turns out that, um, of course, I mean, this is definitely legit. This can definitely happen. As the plane was landing, um, <laughs> Robert and Sophie jumped out. And then got into a limousine, like got into the back but, of a limousine, and they got away. While that it was, way. while it was landing, it was sort of. I think it was as it landed, as it was taxiing into the garage, and no police right. were watching it. Um, they they jumped out and jumped in a car. How how small a plane is this? Would you say? Oh, it's 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 sort of the perfect size for people to jump out and jump in a limo behind it. (laughs) And not get hit by the engine immediately behind the door that you're getting out through. I mean, that is fucking ballsy at that point, isn't it? Massive (laughs) jet engine, definitely going to try my luck on a little bit of an impromptu tumble from the door here. Never mind that it's 15 feet down at least. I've, I've actually flown in a very, very small plane, much less dramatic and impressive than the one in this. And I am positive that if I'd have tried to jump out of that door, first of all, I would have hurt myself. Second of all, the pilot would have punched me in the face and would have been well within his rights to do so. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so, so we move on. To, so let's accept that. We move on to chapter 82. They're in the car, in the limo, on the way to Temple Church on Fleet Street. Of course, it's, it's got some pagan architecture. Um, so we can look forward to a bit of that. Um, yeah, so yeah. as as they're driving along, Sophie puts her hand on Robert's leg. So you know all these lectures in symbology have obviously done the job. <laughs> and she's uh... say, eight hours of increasingly sleep deprived lectures on <laughs> his his PhD in making shit up or confirmation bias or whatever it is we decided to call it. And she's like, well, he is definitely the kind of guy I go for, you know. <laughs> Maybe I will touch him sensuously on the thigh. There's nothing sexier than going to a close church in central London on a rainy Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, now, the, uh, <laughs> as they're making their way over, they have this conversation about, you know, if we do find the grail, should we reveal it to everybody or not? And Robert basically says, I have no opinion either way. And it's like, oh, grow a pair of fucking balls, Robert. <laughs> I have an opinion here. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't actually, care if we do is, or if we don't. That is a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's not often that you have, you're asked to care about the opinion and position of somebody, a, a character in a book. Yeah. Who is like, who takes the kind of anodyne, you know, careful, press release friendly approach often taken by prominent figures to controversial questions. Like you would have thought that of all the positions in the world, you didn't need to worry about being, you know, carefully kind of kerned and justified on. It was the extremely esoteric question as to whether a secret society should reveal a secret secret about an extremely secretive organization in secret. Mm. I think at that point, you don't have to worry about being politically correct. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so Robert doesn't care either way. This whole thing, he's trying to find the grail and he doesn't give a toss either way, whether it gets revealed or not. Brilliant. Uh, chapter, yeah. 80, chapter 83, they bluster the way into this church and find these ten night tombs and start sort of doing a bit of an explore. Um, 
And but chapter eighty four, Remy, little Remy, he's been bought. He's, <gasps> he he releases Silas, um, in from the boot, and uh, he's like, right, let's uh, l- let's do the old double cross, uh, so we can get ready for that. Meanwhile, I, I, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Man. I'm pretty sure he says it in a very French accent. <laughs> let us uh, do the old, uh, I you say in English, uh, double cross. No, not that, <laughs> not that, Remy. Du, uh, du, du, cross? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Forget no. it, Remy. <laughs> See, your your French accent is far better than mine, Matt. It's very good. I was I was going for a fairly weak Audrey Tautou impression. And it just didn't work out. <laughs> so yeah, so Remy and Silas team up in uh, the least anticipated, like villainous du- double act of all time. Um, yeah. And they so they get ready. Meanwhile, Flash the Bash is at the airport, and once again he is pissed off. Um, <laughs> he's missed him again. They can't find any any sign of him. So uh, he calls Bishop Aringarosa, and uh, Aringarosa says, "I'm coming to London to help." So he's on his way Hang as on. well. What's he doing calling Bishop Aringarosa? He got to do with the bishop. Eh? I don't know. They've got some connect again, Dave. There's a connection there. Well, because all people who have anything to do with the Catholic Church have each other's phone number. That that seems a touch far-fetched to me, to be honest. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, what yeah, am I saying? Why, 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 here, why am I engaging on it in this level? Of course it's a bit fucking far-fetched. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Tuning back into this book. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> he's, um, he's on... The, anyway, yeah, so uh, the, the, the main thing to take away from that is, tragically... Um, he's not on the way to Vegas, Aringarosa. He's, in fact, coming to London <sighs> instead. There are casinos here, though, so we have hope. Yet. That, that's true. They lack a certain something by comparison with the <laughs> casinos of Vegas, don't they? Yeah. Casinos of Vegas have a lot more, you know, massive live shows involving tigers and a lot less slightly depressing sticky floor that you can't really walk across very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, chapter 85, and um, speaking of sticky floors, they're, they're standing in this t- this sort of collection of tombs wondering if um, if the sex stuff happened uh, happened here too. If you if you can't remember what the sex stuff was, it was basically girl on top while a load of people stand around in masks watching. Um, and this is the kind of stuff that uh, the French are into, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking incredible. Yeah, Matt, it was definitely the French. <laughs> I'm pinning that one entirely on the French. <laughs> That's... I love the idea of there being different international <laughs> chapters of this shadowy organisation. And it's only the French who have gone, guys, I think there's an opportunity here to do some really weird sex stuff. All together in a circle, you know, like with masks and shit, yeah? Yeah? And the English the English delegation is just like, guys, every time, every time you want to turn it into the freaky, sexy, masky stuff. No, and it just, we, all we do is we repeat to each other where the secret of the grail is and then we go home, okay? This is secret society, yeah. okay? No, the, the, it's not the, sexy fun br- time. <laughs> The British version is a joyless missionary sex in a cold room alone. That's it, isn't it? Teary. <laughs> Followed by a cup of tea. Somehow both people lying back and thinking of England. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, so they're wondering if the sex stuff happened in there. Probably did, might have done, we don't know. Um, then, uh, just as they're sort of working it all out, like the next chapter of the mystery, um, Silas and Remy are arriving in the annex, which brings us to chapter 86, it's round two for Silas to try and redeem himself after the world's worst attempt at uh, killing two people and taking the and taking the codex last time. 
Yeah. It develops into a standoff where Robert Langdon threatens to destroy the codex if Silas doesn't sort of calm down and, and leave. Um, Remy's shitting it. He's basically in the corner, <laughs> progressively shitting his pants because he thinks that <laughs> this is his ticket to like untold riches, getting this codex back. Um, so he thinks, oh, what am I going to do? Uh, in the end, he, he, he sort of steps out of the shadows and uh, sort of manages to tip the balance and gets the cryptex and basically bundles T-Binge into the back of the car as well for good measure and they leave. The big the, the big betrayal there. Yeah, I, I, I felt it. Did you feel it? Did, yeah. did, you, did, did you feel feel an emotion about yeah. that? Yeah. Did it you? Was, yeah, <laughs> boredom. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologise once again to anybody who loves this book, um, but I mean, I think by part three of our coverage, I've exhausted my sort of efforts in trying to give it a chance, so I'm just gritting my teeth and getting through now. Uh, Okay, chapter 87, uh, Cole is investigating the loft at um, at T-Binge's house. He finds his computer and this surveillance system. So um, T-Binge has been bugging someone. Um, or Remy's been bugging. Someone's been bugging someone. Um, and he's got to work that out. And back to chapter 88. That Rob- you can't just have a chapter that's man <laughs> climbs ladder, man finds mysterious technology, end of chapter. <laughs> that is nonsense. <laughs> chapter 88... Robert and Sophie uh, jump the turnstile at um, a, a, a tube station and run down to jump on the tube. Um, Teenage kicks, Matt. Teenage kicks. Well, so I can't. I, I can't understand this. You're trying to sort of keep a low profile um, and jump in the turnstile. There's a sort of a fifty-fifty chance that Transport for London are going to come after you and, and <laughs> sort of try and arrest you. So it Wouldn't seems you love needless. That? That'd, that'd be a great chase scene, wouldn't it? It's just sort of. <laughs> get on the central line and kind of sit there cursing the day they ever chose to took the tube, kind of <laughs> swaying back and forth as a affairs enforcement officer tries to make his way down an extremely <laughs> crowded carriage, <Yeah. laughs> apologising to everybody and taking the thousand different pinpricks of pure hatred that come your way when you try and move down a London tube carriage. Yeah, That, that Matt, is a chase scene I would pay to watch. Yeah, the thing is, I don't, I, I can't get my head around why they need to do this rather than just, can they really not afford the time to buy a ticket? Oh, the second thing I thought was maybe they've got no cash, which would be quite a neat way of explaining it if it wasn't for the fact that the next, the very next page, they make a call <laughs> on a payphone, so they must have some money. So I don't know. Brilliant. So, so, and so, I'm, I'm so, astonished they travel without the Royster cards as well. Everybody know, knows. Yeah. Always carry yeah. with you. Yeah. So Sophie rings up. Um, Rings up uh, to report an abduction. To to rings the police. She goes, "I'm at a payphone," and says, "There's been an abduction." Um, what, what what does she say, Matt? What is it that she says? I'm at a payphone. And um, flash the bash answers. And <laughs> flash of the all bash the goes, people who could fucking answer. Flash the bash goes, guys, I'm here to help. Cut me in. She's like, no chance, pal. Um, <laughs> Whatever, loser. <laughs> which brings us to chapter 89. Flash the bash now thinks, oh, right, okay, they're not coming in. Calls Vernet again 
and uh, he says, chill, we've, we've got this. He's got a plan now. Um, a plan's developed in his mind. Uh, chapter, 90, <laughs> chapter 90. No, um, no, sorry, no, no. You can't have a single chapter that's just, hey, mate, I've got an idea. Well, I actually have a better idea. <laughs> okay, goodbye. <laughs> that's not a chapter. That's a paragraph. <laughs> Uh, chapter chapter 90, uh, we're back to the surveillance stuff. So Collet realises that the surveillance has been of Saunier so, and the others. And the knight on the desk of the Louvre was bugged. So um, T-Binge or Remy or both have been keeping an eye on the Priory. Sneaky. Chapter 91... <laughs> There's just so little really, in these chapters. It really <laughs> is like one line of a thing. You get the impression that he wrote it out. Oh no, he couldn't because it was 2003. But this is this always cries out to be tweeted, doesn't it? I bet. <laughs> I actually bet, and I would love to see if somebody's able to do this. I bet you could do the entire plot of <laughs> the Da Vinci Code in 105 tweets. <laughs> 105 chapters isn't it I bet you could do it in 105 <laughs> lots of 140 characters I think they should, I think they should do it did you ever see the Home Alone one that they did they live tweeted Home Alone oh yeah so they had loads of characters oh that was brilliant like, so they should totally do that with the Da Vinci although over a course of a few days have it tweeted in real time and all the characters tweeting and you could just have people like Fash the Bash like everybody to the Louvre and then that, that, the police response <laughs> like at, at French police okay boss on the way and every so often you just have at, at Albino Silas just going ow ow as he's messing with his sillies that would be great but I don't think the plot would necessarily stand up to a real-time tweeting since he asked us to believe that in the course of six hours it's possible to discover and investigate a murder, drive to the outskirts of Paris and discover a thousand-year-old secret conspiracy, drive to an airport, take off, land, get to central London, investigate a church and then commit fair fraud on the tube in, what are we at, seven hours at this point? <laughs> oh, I think it'd be great. I'm looking forward to the tweet. At uh, Bish Aringarosa. Just picked up the Vat Bonds. Hashtag paper paper. Hashtag make it rain. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag what stays in, what goes in Vegas stays in my wallet, bitches. Oh, dear. Anyway, so, so yeah, that was that. What, what chapter was that? Oh, yeah, chapter 91. Uh, T-Bing, T-Bing's in the boot as Remy and Silas um, are on the run, uh, and the teacher rings. <laughs> if you just um, bear in mind what happens a few chapters later, this is hilarious, because this is basically T-Binge ringing from the boot. <laughs> <laughs> you would love it, wouldn't you? If you could actually get the, the, <laughs> the perspective from T-Binge in the boot. Like just going, hello, is somebody there? And then you get the perspective from in the car and you just hear this. And Silas just takes a sideways look at uh, Remy. Is he talking to himself? Shut up, I'm on the phone to the teacher. He says, the teacher says, pay no attention to the man in the boots. What? I'd love it. I'd love it if they rang the teacher and then there'd just be silence for a moment and he just, just stood from the boot. Mm. 
Seabreen just going shit shit scrubbing around trying to get Yeah, because she's not tied up in the boot as well. Like so he's sort of rolling around doing that sort of out of sight thing where he's like trying to get a mobile phone out of his pocket and sort of speakerphone. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Is the teacher? You sound like you're in a car, is now a bad time? No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. This is Pay so no attention shit, to the man it? in the boot. <laughs> okay, so yeah, T binge is in the boot. Um, the, sorry, the teacher says, send Remy to me, Silas, and uh, you go and lay low for a bit. So uh, Remy's told to go to some park. Is it Highgate Park to meet the teacher? No, uh, not the classiest location. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> chapter 92. Um, they're at King's College Library, Robert and Sophie. Now, um, T-Binge is they use T-Binge's name because he's a knight, of course, to get help, and then they search the computer. <laughs> so they basically. I, I realise we've done this before. Can I just take a moment again to notice the total <laughs> preposterousness of the idea that if you've got Sir in front of your name, all the doors in the universe open for you. Yeah. I yeah. would really love Dan Brown to get an honorary knighthood for services to the toilet paper industry. And like and just try it just once. Just like try and waltz into the UK with like some, you know, like un- uncleared like meat or something, you know, some sort of, some sort of preposterous contraband. Mm. And and just be like, oh, well actually it's Sir Dan Brown. Mm. <laughs> And and you just you just know the border people would be like, is it sir? That's nice. Step this way. Pulls on latex gloves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, they're at they're at um, King's College. They've gone there to use the computer um, to Google stuff, I assume. So they're doing that. They've kind of turned into. They've kind of turned into the sort. They kind of turned into the sort of. You know, people who have got to go to a library to use a computer now. It's uh, it feels like you know a bit more back to basics, down to earth, salt of the earth. Back, back, you know, back to sort of nineteen ninety four, you might say. Yeah. Because it doesn't doesn't they go and they try and search for this, and doesn't it? She puts in like four boolean operators for like oh, I'm looking for the Grail. I'm looking for something, 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 yeah. something, something, right? And then she says, right, that'll take fifteen minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> have you? Dan, did you ever, have you, did you know that, like, <laughs> is he thinking this computer still runs off of punch cards? Is that it? Are we like, yeah. are we, is this like, you know, are we, we're back in the territory of, I predict that one day <laughs> computers will fit inside a single room that will be so expensive that only the five <laughs> richest kings of Europe will own them. Like, is that? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's just thinking, oh, this is merry England. They're probably a little bit behind oh, the times. For fuck's sake, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, what there should be then is a button you can press on the machine that says, I am a sir, and then it just happens <laughs> six times quicker. Yeah, yeah. ten times broadband limit. That sort of does that. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, meanwhile, um, Silas is at the Opus Dei headquarters in London. He's, he's welcomed in, but no the crib, police are on no the crib. way. Yeah, because uh, they, they recognise who he is and they call the cops. So the cops are on their way. Chapter 94. Wait, Opus Dei call who he yeah. is. Like, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they dob so, him in. That's the worst secret society in the universe. Somebody walks in <laughs> after doing, fulfilling the malign purpose of your shadowy cabal. And he walks in and you're like, oh, well, he's a wrong one. Cops, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so no, the, no, no, uh... it's, it's the conspiracy. You'll need to come over here double quick. 
Yeah, they've been taking uh, impartiality lessons from the Swiss in this book, it turns out. <laughs> <clears throat> Chapter 94. Uh, the teacher uh, is is here. Um, he sits <clears throat> in, he gets in the car with Remy, uh, gives Remy some salty cognac. <laughs> Seems legit. Uh, Remy realises all too yeah. late that it's poison and strangles and like strangles to death dead um hang on so uh, but did he know before then that the teacher was lee Teabage? yeah and you see this confused me for a while but um yeah i think he did and i, I reread this once the sort of the Teabage stuff was revealed and it just about checks out so i'll give i'll give him, <laughs> I'll give him that you have to a grudging squint, pass but, is what he gets yeah though. give him a pass yeah, so T-Binge, or the teacher at this stage, kills Remy. Um, and then we cut to a ring Rosa at the airport, who's listening in on a police radio. <laughs> and, Where's uh, he got that from? <laughs> Pulled pull out of his all-purpose bishop kit, his, I think his it's worldwide <laughs> police scanner. I think he's in a police car for some reason, being escorted somewhere, and he hears over the radio... Um, Basically, some policeman saying, "Everybody, go to Opus Day. We're going to catch Silas." And Aringa Rosa says, "Take me there too." So the police guy, all right, so they take him there. <laughs> take me there as well. Why? <laughs> I'm a bishop, and I'm a British police officer. When was the last time that we listened to any bishops? What? Like, I'm a bishop. Yeah, actually, yeah. I'm a bishop. They've gone. Oh, he's a bishop. He might. He might have been elevated to the House of Lords. So he's practically a knight. Let's just believe in his. Yeah. Right. Jeez, yeah. I mean, except he's a Catholic bishop, right? So I, oh, yeah. I think the odds of him being seriously listened to inside <laughs> anywhere, really, in the British establishment, pretty skinny. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure there are laws telling that copper not to do anything of the sort. Yeah. Uh, chapter 95, back at the library. Here, they have some chat about Gawain the Green Knight. It's quite an interesting story, that one. Um, <laughs> unlike this. Uh, Robert Langdon uh, is, is bored. <laughs> I honestly thought... That was magnificent. I honestly thought you were going to be like, now here is an interesting piece where he handles the complexity of an ancient medieval text with surprising dexterity and tact. I honestly thought you were about to say that. Oh, no, no. Gawain and the Green Knight is a great book. Everybody should read that instead of the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) Robert Langdon, like many of us, is bored at this stage. Um, (laughs) He starts talking about his favourite book. (laughs) (laughs) He's back on Is that the explanation? For his constant lecturing. Is he just bored shitless? No, no, no. He's back onto his favourite topic. Um, We have something about how cards are pagan or something. Are they? (laughs) He's just the worst person to wander around London with, isn't he? He's so fucking dull. Imagine. Oh, it's like that. Have you ever seen The Trip, the TV series, The Trip with Steve Coogan in it? Yeah. He gets trapped at the top of this very, very beautiful kind of geological feature by somebody who just wants to talk to him at great length about how it was formed. <laughs> and it's just, it's the best imaginable scene of like, this is awful. I have to leave. <laughs> so backing slowly away. Robert Langdon was a real person. He would have no mates. <laughs> What's he talking yeah. about? He's talking about the grail again, is he? Yeah, secret, is it? I should be so lucky. <laughs> So, um, but as he's getting bored and wandering around and thinking about his pagan cards, he sees a statue of Isaac Newton and realises Isaac Newton's a knight, Sir Isaac Newton. So a knight a pope interred would be Sir Isaac Newton. That it could be anyway. But that's just another knight. That doesn't get you any closer to 
the Pope. Sure. Oh yeah, because it's not because it's not the Pope. You see, it's a Pope, as in an uh, initial. Um, uh, but that but that that would mean it's grammatically gosh. inaccurate because surely it would be the knight a Pope interred, not a knight, unless he yeah, unless knight, Alexander a, also... a Pope interred a load of knights. <laughs> this is just one of many. <laughs> I like that old old. <laughs> the old the old night barrier eh? that's what he was known as during his lifetime he wasn't famous for being you know a master of the iambic pentameter form no 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 yeah no 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 yeah Very okay nice. so yeah let's just i just wanted to make that clear so that's wrong so it's it's the night <laughs> a pope interred if you're, gonna, if you're gonna say that if it's a pope as in alexander pope or whatever the hell he's called chapter 96 <laughs> silas the, the police move on Silas, fully armed to the teeth. Officers As have guns police again. officers so clearly are, yeah. <laughs> Silas bursts out of his room, bollock naked. <laughs> Come at me, bro! <laughs> except, except, of course, he's really into traditionalist Catholicism, isn't he? So he'd actually say, Vene ad me, frat! <laughs> Yeah, as he starts going mental with this gun, just blasting left, right, and centre. Um, somehow, somehow <laughs> did, doesn't did cook any fools. Yeah, <laughs> in in the middle of this firefight in which he's shot and he he blows away a couple of policemen, um, Bishop Ringarosa sort of wanders up and taps him on the shoulder, and he spins round and gives him both barrels as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is supposed to be a tragic moment, but God, I thought I... it was hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, because all it takes, all it takes to turn this moment of pathos into a moment of bathos is for Silas suddenly to go, "Oh, sorry." That just that would have wrecked it. Would have been amazing. Sorry, chapter Mark. ninety, chapter ninety-seven. Robert and Sophie now travel to Westminster Abbey. Because they think that that's the next, that's where Sir Isaac Newton's buried. So that's the tomb where the knight of Pope interred is. They want to get the cryptex back. So they think eventually, whoever's nicked it will work out that they've got to go to Westminster Abbey so we can be waiting for them when they get there. Um, unfortunately for them, the teacher's already there. Um, once again, he's uh, used his, his ID as a knight to, to get in. Um, and he's he's sort of the teacher is going to now wait for Robert and Sophie, so he's turned the tables. The way he tempts them over to a different part of the abbey is by scrawling a note saying, "I have tea binge on the tomb." Oh no! Oi, so, oi. Yeah, chapter ninety nine. Um, tea binge says, "Oh, so this is it? Yeah, this is the big reveal." T-Binge is, is the teacher, um, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is it, yeah. T the big reveal, T-Binge is, is the teacher. Is this the moment? All right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, he reveals that Sophie's family deaths were no accident. It was church blackmail, he thinks. Um, Sonia decided to keep the truth quiet. So the apparently the priory told Sonia... Now is the time to reveal the truth. And then the church sort of got to Sonia and said, listen, dickhead, don't reveal the truth and we're going to kill your family. <laughs> so he decided not to reveal the truth. And this is why all this is kicked off now, why um, Silas has killed him and they're trying to find some way of revealing the truth. So T-Binge is a revealer and the church is a anti-revealer. 
in um, at this stage. Uh, Robert Langdon, like many of us, has given up trying to get his bearings. He says, um, T. Binge gets the crypt wants to get the cryptics. He gives he gives the cryptics to Robert. Um, and says, let's work together to work out how to reveal it. We're both on the same side as he's holding a gun on him. Um, <laughs> you and me, we can rule the secret society as weird elderly dude who's quite boring and weird slightly <laughs> younger dude who is, if anything, even more boring. <laughs> Search your feelings. Yeah. You know it to be true. <laughs> so they say, come on, let's swear an oath together, T-Bin says. And Robert's like, uh, and Sophie's going, <laughs> And then chapter 100 comes round. Aringarosa is, <laughs> is apparently dead. <laughs> Sorry. That's amazing. Act 2. Death drives a stick. Fade out, fade in. Chapter 100. And Bishop Aringarosa is apparently dying now. He's on the floor, bleeding out. Um, the real reason that the church... We find out the real reason the church gave him all these Vatican bonds was a payoff because they want to distance themselves from Opus Dei. Um, so it was a bit of a severance payment um, and then the teacher called um, him after after Rosa found that he was getting cut off by the church that's when the teacher rang him and said I got an offer for you mate you know I can find the grail if you give me a lot of cash and uh, that'll be all you know all great so it's good times for everybody then you can hold that over the church and say you've got to let me back in so that was the whole plan that's why Rosa and Opus Dave have been involved uh, and then, <laughs> then Ringarosa sort of faints in Silas's arms as Silas does this sort of all like tearful goodbye, and then wanders off. I've always been, I've always been the stupid one. I've always yeah, been the stupid one. Yeah. Can, can don't I, don't can... say that. Don't say. Don't go to sleep. Medic. <laughs> Medic. Well, yeah. Well, the thing I was thinking here is this touch, very touching. Of course, seeing this happening, is. The last chapter, he was involved in a, a firefight with the police where he killed two police officers. So how is he not being arrested here? <laughs> it's just everyone <laughs> just left him Where are all the other it. police officers? <laughs> that is an excellent question, Matt. It's, just a, question. it's turned into this, this quiet street where everyone's, I assume, just wandering past now, just sort of carefully tiptoeing around the various bodies that are strewn all over the place. <laughs> And just yeah, leaving paying no attention to at all to the Catholic bishop in full finery, <laughs> leading out on the pavement. Being cradled by this albino, this naked albino. This naked albino, <laughs> cocked to the wind, with, so, with a suspicious garter mark on one of his thighs. Nothing surround, to see here. Surrounded by corpses of police officers. Londoners really don't care, do they, about anybody? Yeah, They're just wandering <laughs> Any other city in the world, that would be unrealistic, eh? <laughs> so self-involved, they're just stepping around this scene and carrying on, you know, they've got to go get oh, the lattes. You, you can completely <laughs> see somebody, can't you, just walking down, phone in one hand, double yeah. venti mocha frappuccino in the other, just reading the Twitter feed, just, no, excuse me, <clears throat> step, step, going. <laughs> I, I haven't really enjoyed this book all the way through, but the last quarter, he is just phoning it in, isn't he? <laughs> he just doesn't care. <laughs> uh, okay, next chapter. Uh, oh, chapter 102. Oh, no, no, this is still chapter 101. It's a long chapter. Um, you mean it, it so, contains, contains enough material for two different tweets, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So we're back with Langdon and T-Binge. Uh, 
so at this stage, T-Binge is saying, come on, Rob, just put the, put the, uh, put the cryptax down, we can talk, because T-Binge has decided that Robert isn't going to help him. So he thinks, as soon as Robert puts the cryptax down, I'm just going to blow the fucker away. Um, now, Robert realises that T-Binge is thinking this, so he throws the cryptax into the air. <laughs> T-Binge goes, no, <laughs> leaps over to catch it, he tries to catch it, his gun goes off as he as he jumps, um, he doesn't catch it, the cryptex breaks, and oh no, the, 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 the secret's been lost for all eternity, but oh no it hasn't, because the parchment's already been removed, because Robert's worked out how to open it. Hey... Hey, and he managed to do that despite the fact that this object has been the absolute focus of everyone's attention ever since he walked into the room. But he managed, through the magic of childhood magic or something, to work it with one hand, get a really fragile paper out of it, suppress his massive professional curiosity at what the paper actually says. And mind you, he's so interested in what it says that he's incapable of looking at any building in any city older than 1850, without talking about how it's linked to the contents of this piece of paper. <laughs> Controlled all of that, and instead decided to go for the old looky-loop, throw it in the air, <laughs> and make an elderly man fire a... <laughs> discharge a firearm into open space. Gamble that he had enough self-control to leap the safety off, jump whilst holding a gun, keep his finger on the trigger, fire it at random, and not hit him or his mate. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert opens. <laughs> so Robert opens the map. Opens the parchment. It's a map. <laughs> and now Robert's holding the map. And this is the this is the point, Dave, where it's on a knife edge. And I think the I need a hero music starts to play. <laughs> and we need someone to save the day. Bang! Open opens the door. In comes Fash the Bash. <laughs> it's his moment to to truly shine so he yeah. arrests t-binge and uh, all our all our heroic moments have come at once as fash the bash proves his worth <laughs> fash um, the bash at your service <laughs> chapter yeah, i like to, i like to think that he jumps in grabs t-binge pushes him to the floor throws the cuffs on him and then just says you've been bashed <laughs> my name's fash and that was the bash <laughs> thank you ladies and gentlemen you've been a lovely audience Get over here, uh, chapter 102 silas has been shot he wanders over to kensington gardens um as a kneel down and then the pain fades away it turns out he dies at this point so that's the end of silas oh that's, um, that's somewhat anticlimactic i dare say <laughs> Uh, a fun-loving life cut tragically short. Um, chapter 103. Fash the Bash has got his man. Uh, it turns out Aringarosa is alive and in hospital. Um, so he, Fash the Bash goes in. Oh, it turns out, this is how... Yeah, if you're wondering how Fash the Bash somehow arrived and, and managed to catch them in the act, um, it was because a combination of things. The people on the front, when they realised who T-Binge was, because he flashed their ID, um, called the police... And also, Fash has been speaking to Aringarosa. So in this time, Aringarosa has both got to the hospital, come round, and had this big confession with Fash. Um, 
to say, you know, this is what's been happening. Turns out the 20 million Vatican bonds to get the grail, um, were they were going to go to the teacher. I think we already knew that. And um, yeah. Flash the Bash comes in with the money and says, I got all this cash, what do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? Sort as, of... the, as the police so often do in the case of <laughs> yeah. seized impossible fortune. <laughs> <laughs> unusual Is this approach your to <laughs> unusual approach to evidence in a multiple murder case, but we'll let that slide. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, because this is after all libash. <laughs> yeah, and Aringarosa says, "Oh, can you just give the money to sort of the the families of the the people who the people who've died?" So Fash is like, "Yeah, fine. I mean, that, I'm sure that's fine. It's not going to at all implicate implicate those family members in the murders of the people who've just been <laughs> murdered." <laughs> oh my word! That is, you're right. I hadn't even thought of that. That's amazing. That is that is a legislative nightmare waiting to happen. Imagine being the judge sitting in the sitting in uh, in court watching everybody come in and be like, "So you're telling me all of these people had family members die, and then they all received fantastically valuable Vatican bonds with sequential serial numbers on them as a result of those deaths." And this explanation is reformed Catholic bishop with a heart of gold. Yes. 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 Get in the fucking cells. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, we'll do this as a job lot, shall we? I fancy going for an early lunch. All yeah. of you can fuck up. Amazing. Ringarosa is going to escape all charges as well. It turns out. Chapter one of <laughs> Chapter one of four. <laughs> it turns out for any reason for that, or is it just just because? I, I think it's because he gets on with Flash the Bash. Uh, there might, there may mean, be some kind of thing about the little um, cross that Flash the Bash was wearing as well. He might be pulling some strings. Yeah. Well, as and as we know, in that circumstance, it's definitely true. The characters who are fanatically devoted to one thing the entire plot of the novel turn out actually to be even more fanatic thing that they've barely spoken about. Yeah, yeah. That definitely sounds, that sounds plausible to me. Yeah. Chapter 104, Roslyn Chapel, no? Um, it's an, it's just a endless list of locations that they wander to and then go to another place, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Roslyn Chapel, symbols are everywhere, obviously some pagan ones in there. Um, can, can, we, can we just do this really quickly? Roslyn Chapel is not in London, is it? I don't know. <laughs> I it's don't in know. Scotland. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a beaten man, Dave. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just want it to it end. Is, it is. How many other novels do you know that have all of the major kind of emotional catharsis happen in one city and then move it 400 miles to the north just so you can fit in another holiday destination to yeah. the list of places that your, oh novel, your novel takes place? So where is Rosslyn Chapel? It's outside Edinburgh. Uh, Edinburgh? Have they got up there? Okay, right, yeah, good point. Well, excellent okay. question, Matt. Well, no, as we all know, the way they've got there is by being characters conceived of by the mind of an American who's clearly very lazy with his research and <laughs> reckons that Edinburgh and London are just down the road from one another, never <laughs> having heard of congestion or you know population density and other mm. luxuries that the British keep in between London and Edinburgh. <laughs> So, so yeah, so Rosslyn Chapel, there are symbols everywhere, so Robert Langdon pretty much creams in his trousers when he sees it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Masonic temple, whatever that means. Um, Sophie remembers that she was here with Gramps, um, and Quite Sophie chance. also remembers that Grandad said he had to leave someone important here. <laughs> um, at this I point, she wanders off, and this young man approaches and says, I've got a box like the one you're carrying, Robert. And Robert's like, I don't think so. This is an expensive box, pal. Jog on. 
Um, <laughs> <then> you, you, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I love that attempt for that, that little guy to make conversation as well. Hey, yeah. I've got a box like that. And he's like, yeah, whatever, mate. Just fucking leave me alone. Yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to just take in all these symbols, which I absolutely I love know. doing. No, no, no. He's not even that, is it? He's saying, look, can you just fuck off, please? I'm having yeah. an internal monologue dense with elusive symbolism yeah. that nobody else is going to understand. Yeah. And I'm certainly yeah. not going to vocalise to anybody. <laughs> Yeah, it's cute you've got a similar box to I have, but I am balls deep in my favourite hobby here, so can you just leave me the fuck alone? <laughs> <laughs> I have literally never been more aroused. Kindly leave me alone. <laughs> he notices that Sophie's wandered off. So um, he goes he goes to find her. Of course, she's gone off to the rectory because um, the person Grandad's left here is Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's where I left her. A boy. Uh oh, spaghettios. Chapter one oh five. The uh the grail was in the vault here for a while. Um But it's Grandma. not anymore, completely clear on that. So we've managed <laughs> yeah. to go from London so, to Edinburgh for the last six pages of the book and it turns out that the grail's still not in this location yeah. either. So grandma grandma says the grail was was in the vault but it's not anymore. Um I tell you what, it's going to turn out, Matt. They're going to go back to London and it's going to be on the roof of a London bus. An open-top <laughs> bus tour through London. Or in a beefy as hat or something. I imagine this grandmother to be sort of like one of those like cartoon, um, almost like cartoon or Werther's original style grandmothers who just come out with a tray <laughs> of freshly baked cakes. Like, oh, dearie. No, the grail was here, dearie, but now it's moved on. So Robert's like, oh, for fuck, like the rest of us, is like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's not here. <laughs> Um, and that seems to be the end of the story as well, because so, this is the last chapter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Robert, to cheer himself up, books a date with Sophie and Florence. They're going to have a week away yeah. together. <laughs> Robert's uh, a week away together. <laughs> that is literally eight times longer than they've known each other in the whole of their lives. What is wrong with this woman? Yeah, and unsurprisingly, this other woman that Robert was thinking about, up to about chapter three of a hundred and five. Um, there's no left the scene completely. Nowhere to be, nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so going through this whole process of having some of his, you know, most treasured professional preoccupations completely dismantled has caused Robert Landon to go like, screw it once. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the epilogue. Robert finds the Grail, and I can't believe I'm so disinterested in it at the end. <laughs> he gets up. He gets out of bed. He gets out of bed in in the in his hotel. He's back in Paris now, by the way. Gets out of bed you, in his hotel. Again, what's he done? Drive down the road to get to. <laughs> he gets out of bed, runs through Sorry. the streets, goes to the Louvre, which is still open um, this time of night. Deserted. Um, presumably, goes to the bottom of the inverted pyramid in there. Um, yeah. Finds this like this little three foot mini pyramid, and I think another one, and says that must be where the Grail is. I don't know if that literally means that the bones are there. Uh, or that if any documents are there, or if it's just some kind of symbol again, I, I, it might maybe there's some bones there, maybe not. I don't care. Um, he kneels in front of it. He feels some sense of satisfaction, and thank fuck that is the end of the book. <laughs> if only the rest of us felt something similar. <sighs> Matt, I'd like to applaud you there. You, you did it. <laughs> you, you got through it. Well. <sighs> Never have I enjoyed a book so little. I've got to be honest. Um, <laughs> Holy crap, Matt. 
I mean, that is say you've read a lot of books. I don't, I, I don't is... know. You, you know what? It's tough. It might because Dead Air was so bad, so bad. <laughs> I'm so desperate it, it, to see that now. I'd, as well. <laughs> I'd have to reread like that. I quite like Dead Air. It's shite, <laughs> but it's diverting shite. Whereas this. Yeah, I, th- I think mm, maybe Dead Air's still worse, just because I do think towards the end, the last few chapters when it was coming together, I did feel sort of a little twinge or a little flicker of, oh, this is quite, it's kind of fun, but, and and that, there was never any fun anywhere near Dead Air, um, so maybe that, yeah, maybe this isn't as bad as that, but goodness me, just giving it a run for its money. <laughs> but, what what are your thoughts, Dave? <laughs> oh, I mean, I won't deny that for all that I've ragged on it this time out, when I read it for the first time, it kept my attention, it kept me diverted, I kept turning pages, and I got to the end of it. Unfortunately, that was before I did a history degree, and now I read books like this, dragging their Betted, leaking asses over the very principle of demonstrable evidence, evidential truth. It's it's alternative facts. The thriller is basically what this is, and I'm, yeah. I'm now just like you can't, you can't do that. You damn no, no, stop, just stop it. No, mm. no. Well, I mean that was that's what we think. Shall we have a bit of a, a bit of the review section here? I've been waiting for this since we started on this, book. and no amount, Matt, no amount of shadowy cabals and secret organisations sabotaging my Wi-Fi will prevent me from enjoying. I think what has been written about this on Amazon or other sites. Hello. Hello. Very very funny. Well done. <laughs> Well done indeed. That was fucking glorious. Just for a second, I was like, nah, mate. Nah. Oh, God, it's all true. <laughs> oh, I couldn't resist. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's have a look at these reviews then. Uh, so, um, oh, before we get into the actual reviews, there's uh, another thing that we got sent through. Um, this is from Max, who says, uh, a friend of the podcast, Max, who oh, says... Yeah. This is great. Get ready for this, Dave. This is incredible. Hey, guys. I'm not sure if it was limited to the US release or not, but just like to poke at Matt's puzzle aversion, the book itself evidently had a bunch of useless nonsense puzzles embedded in the dust jacket and the page numbers because um, here's the sort of information on the American version of the... I'm not sure if it might have been the international version as well of the original release of this. Part of the advertising campaign for the novel was the artwork in the American version of the book jacket held various codes and that the reader who solved them via the author's website would be given a prize. Several thousand... <laughs> several thousand, Several thousand people actually solved the codes and one name was randomly chosen to be the winner with a name announced on live television in America in 2004. The prize was a trip to Paris. The five hidden puzzles reveal... The back of the book jacket contains latitude and longitude coordinates written in reverse light red and light and, and dark red. Adding one degree to the latitude gives the coordinates to the headquarters of the Central Intelligence Agency in Northern Virginia, which is the location of a mysterious sculpture called Kryptos. Are you still with me? I am still with you. Bold letters are present on the book jacket. This is a secret message. The message is 
Is there no help for the widow's son? A, a reference to Freemasonry. The words right. only WW knows can be seen on the back cover. It's a phrase printed invertedly in the torn part of the book cover. This too is a reference to part two of the Kryptos sculpture. A circle with numbers between the Doubleday logo and the barcode reveals a secret message. There are the chapter numbers where the initial letters are arranged in Caesar box format, revealing E pluribus, pluribus, sorry, E pluribus unum. And there's reverse writing on the cover of the book, which is a riddle of the first cryptex. Oh my goodness. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I was, I was with you. I really was. What's any of this got to do with the Da Vinci Code, which has been exclusively set in Europe? Oh, you get, get ready for this. Um, Dan Brown says that uh, the puzzles in the book jacket give hints about the subject of his next novel, The Lost Symbol. So it's a little advert for the next novel as well. Fuck off. <laughs> I, do you know what? I think if I was puzzly minded and I'd gone through that entire process just to get to a trailer for the next book, <laughs> which was then announced by a press release anyway. Jeez, Dan Brown must live in some magic wizard's castle on top of a mountain, <laughs> protected by the strongest wards and, and and flipping spells that money can purchase. Because yeah. otherwise you've got a, a, a horde of furious cryptography geeks walking up to your gate <laughs> to tear you limb from limb for traducing yeah. their fine tradition in this way. Yeah. Bloody hell. But yeah, so th- thanks, Max. Um, if I didn't hate that book enough already, that is uh, for the case for the prosecution there. <laughs> um, okay, shall we get into the the reviews? Uh, we've got a mixture here: some from some from the listeners and some from the uh, some from the internet. Um, I have to right. Okay, um, let's be fair. The the majority of these reviews, or the majority the majority of views I could find on the internet, are between four and five stars. Which um, surprisingly enough contrast what? greatly with our listeners, who most of them are one stars. <laughs> um, but uh, as soon as I'm curating these reviews, um, this isn't going to be representative. There are far fewer five star reviews than one stars in this list because <laughs> I much prefer reading those. Um, <laughs> so okay, let's get through. Here are the five star reviews. Sherry says, wow, this was a fantastic book. I went into it not knowing what to expect. Despite the good reviews I'd heard about it, obviously not listening to this podcast, I thought it would have a strong <laughs> pro-Christian slant. And these really didn't know anything about when it. When did you read this? <laughs> and like, this wouldn't... Not only when the book was released was there massive moral panic and outrage. Then they made a film out of it and it happened all over again. Yeah. <laughs> what? So, despite the reviews I'd heard about it, I thought it would have a strong pro-Christian slant and thus wouldn't be the right book for me. However, the premise of the story strongly disputed the entire basis of modern Christianity, which meshed quite nicely with my own way of thinking. As a goddess worshipper, I already knew and understood a lot of stuff about the goddess that was discussed. The stuff that was newer to me was interesting too. So, Shuri, I think Shuri kind of liked it because it confirmed some of her own beliefs, so... Yeah, well, and and I, you know, I've been pretty harsh on Dan Brown's description of of that belief system because I think his description of it is, frankly, if I believed that and this is what I was relying on to have people understand what I believe, I'd be furious because he makes it sound like so much bollocks. You know, I'm a massive fan of anybody reading a book that reflects what they believe and 
and, and find that it kind of speaks to them in that. But, I mean, I really hope to God there's a better description of goddess theology than this. I really do. Um, Blair gave it five, five stars. I don't think it's Tony. Um, I was going to but... say that while he's just unplugged. Gosh, this was exciting. In 2003, I was a little busy, so it's really lovely to catch up on what the kids have been reading. Five stars. Blair says, I don't understand why everyone hates this book. Really, it's just fiction. Fiction! I actually really like this book. It's very well written. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, though. Only the open-minded ones. So if you're not an open-minded person, don't read it. Maybe that's our problem, Dave. Maybe we're just closed-minded. We're not I open to myself possibilities. I, yeah, no, absolutely. I am. I am, you know, I'm just too sceptical for my own good. Yeah. Uh, Kim's, Kim gave it five stars. Kim says, this is extremely impressive. At this point, I thought she was taking the piss. It turns out she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you think she's written the most perfect deadpan slow hand clap review ever. <laughs> this was really impressive. I just couldn't believe how tightly plotted it was and how well realized each and every one of its characters the language a feast for my brain five stars only because there's no button for six this is extremely impressive the plot and the mystery got me hooked i can tell it was well researched the way it was it does sound like a second in place the way it was written was so I can clear tell it was well researched no you can tell that he asserts without basis many 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 things that's what passes for good research I've got news for you, and it's every other book that's ever been written. <clears throat> the way it was written was so clear that I can imagine the situation myself, and swear, and I swear, I haven't even watched the film. So, you, well, I mean, good, good, well, good decision good making there. I think, yeah, yeah. well, well done. And uh, Erica gave it five stars. I don't really know where the line between fact and fiction lay in this book, but one thing is for sure: Dan Brown is pure genius. Oh. Um, Oh, let's be, let, let's, ah, fuck it, let's not. You as, loved it, as, I'm happy for you. Right. Assertive, assertive with the same sort of uh, baseless sense of sort of finality <laughs> that much of the facts <laughs> in the book have been based with. So. I want to see your footnotes and who you're comparing him to as genius. <laughs> okay, here come the one stars marching over the horizon to take on those five-star reviews, <laughs> led by Regina who says, what I learned, not much. This book is a tome of disinformation about the Catholic Church in general and Opus Dei in particular. You could see this book as a sort of demonic answer to Pope John Paul II's theology of the body. Fucking hell! Hackneyed, inaccurate, overgeneralised and dead wrong. So there are a few people, a lot of the arguments around the book and the reviews of the books are split into two camps in terms of why you like it, why you hate it. There's an argument yeah. going on about whether or not there's any truth in it. And so everyone who thinks it's true says the book's great. And everyone who thinks it's not true says the book's crap. And then you have the second argument, which is very much more on the line that I argue on, which is putting the whole, is it true or not, to a side. Just as a book in general, I just don't think it's very good. I think it's not very well written. But anyway... Yeah. Um, Father Bill, can can you guess which which side Father Bill is going to come down? On if he doesn't say drink, feck, arse or girls in this advert, he shouldn't. <laughs> he, says, he shouldn't have chosen that name, should he? <laughs> he says, actually, this is a good book to study. Ooh. 
if <laughs> here it comes if you aim to examine the pure propaganda in form of fiction it depends Ooh. Ooh, there's the one two punch swings with the left <laughs> So he says, actually, this is a good book to study if you aim to examine pure propaganda in the form of fiction. It depends, for its seeming credibility, on the appalling ignorance of those persuaded by it. That is oh. A... oh, you can't go doing that. Nobody ever convinced anybody to change their view by starting out by calling them <laughs> stupid. That's just... <laughs> Who taught you rhetoric, honestly? Yeah. You're all fools! Listen to me! <laughs> Robert, Robert, one star, absolutely the worst book I've read in a decade. The location of the Grail was obvious before the action had moved from the Louvre. The principal female protagonist is a French woman educated in Britain, yet she speaks American English. Dan Brown's incompetence <laughs> is staggering. I was so embarrassed to own a copy that I gave it away. <laughs> Please, take Brilliant. it from my hands. It cannot reside in this house anymore. <laughs> Bella. Oh man. Bella gave it one stars. This is a great review, but I need to give it the um I need to sort of give it the attention it deserves. So there'll be some pauses no. here because each of the first few words are just a sentences on their own. What the hell is this? <laughs> Seriously, how do you come up <laughs> and organize this kind of plot? By some misfortune I picked this up. I read like half of it. I thank the merciful Lord did not get to read the part where Sophie or whatever walks into her grandfather doing unspeakable things to another woman after coming back from university. <laughs> then she posts this picture, which is hilarious, which I'm gonna repost on Twitter, of this sort of face going and then uh, she finishes the review with, the fucking horror is unimaginable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love anybody that puts in the effort to actually put together a, a, a picture of themselves doing the full-on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Sandra gave it one stars. Dan Brown is possibly the most formulaic and pedestrian writer of our time. I wish I had it now. I could use it to get the fire in my wood stove started. <laughs> oh, snap. She gave you the firelighter review. Brilliant. <laughs> Middle class bonus points for Sandra for having a wood stove. Uh, well done. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well done indeed. Uh, Terry. Terry thinks he's worked out the entire structure of every chapter. It's basically go somewhere, find something, bad guys arrive, escape, what you found tells you tells you to go somewhere else. Repeat. Which is pretty good actually. That is pretty much what happens for the entire book. times. Yeah. Actually you can get the whole thing into a single tweet then, couldn't you? <laughs> Terry, you're uh, a genius. <laughs> got a few more yet. A few one liners here which I enjoy. <laughs> you really man, you had some tension to work on, didn't you, when you were finding these things? Martin. Give me some more really scathing ones. Come on. Martin gave it one star. Starts as a bad tourist guide to Paris and gets worse. It starts as a bad tourist guide to Paris, becomes immeasurably even. <laughs> Transforms itself into a bad tourist guide to London and Edinburgh as well. Arwen says, hilariously bad writing. The more you read, the more you hate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, the final one-star review I'm going to read, and it's the final review I'm going to read of it, is from Arnie. And um, I'm going to read this in the voice of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, yes! I'd love it I if it actually was him. Say that. <laughs> so Arnie 
gave Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code one star and gave this review. I wouldn't rate this because I only read the first page. I thought the writing style was horrible. Thought I can't read this shit and put it back on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, that is perfect. The only way that could be more Arnold Schwarzenegger is if he went, I thought, I can't read this shit. I pulled out my AK and blew six <laughs> large holes in the cover. <laughs> that would have been infinitely better. It would have been for everyone. There you have it. There it is. There you have it. That is the Da Vinci Code, given the entire and <laughs> merciless Shark Liver Oil treatment. <laughs> the complete um, and utter Shark Liver Oil experience. Our tagline used to be merciless book clubbing, and I feel that's exactly <laughs> what we've done with this. <laughs> <laughs> we gave it a fair crack of the whip in the first episode, I think. I really think I did. I always come to books wanting to like them. Yeah. But honestly, some books just. Yeah. Just there's no option. Well, that is well and truly a turkey, an absolute turkey of a book. I'm glad it's over. Uh, hopefully, we'll pick something that we enjoy next time. I hope you've enjoyed at least listening to the uh, review of it. <laughs> if you want to get involved think, at all, I've enjoyed reviewing it, but then it wasn't my job to make the notes on it. I think <laughs> you've had a worse time than I have in this one. Um, if you have enjoyed it, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we're always happy to hear from you. Even if you liked it, we'll forgive you. It's uh, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Get us on Twitter as well, at sharkliveroil. And hopefully at some point we're going to get this bloody Facebook page sorted as well. So um, keep an eye open for that. But thanks ever so much for listening. Um, and it's been emotional, Dave. Not all the emotions have been particularly pleasant, but it's been emotional. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Till next time. Till next time, man.